you go ahead and turn your Bibles, that's Galatians. Galatians 1. It is good to have you here. We're going to find ourselves in about two months in this book. We're going to dissect every single word. If you have not been with us as a church who has taught through um, different books, we've gone through about 17 in the last few years. And so this will go no differently than that. We will, we will not miss a punctuation mark, okay? So we will go through the scriptures. We will apply to life, uphill Jesus Christ and his glory to all that he has written and ensure that he gets all the praise and honor. So do this as we go through the whole chapter of Galatians 1 this morning. So the question is, when it comes to hills to die on, you ever heard that? My wife reminds me sometimes. She'll, she'll pull me aside and she'll go, Hunter, you might be right, but that's not a hill to die on because I care about too much sometimes and I'm a passionate individual. And she'll go, Hunter, I hear you. I understand you. Keep it to yourself, right? It's not a hill to die on. Well, biblically, there's things there too. You might be right on something. It might be your interpretation of what you're seeing in Scripture and your denomination, how you were raised. You might be spot on. But guess what? It's not a gospel issue. It's not a hill to die on. Well, let me ask you. We're going to unpack it. This is kind of unpacking the whole book of Galatians as a whole. Now, when it comes to the gospel, not church, um, not your family upbringing, denomination, your thoughts on the Holy Spirit, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. What's so good about it, young people? That Jesus came, he died for our sins, nothing I can do or anything I deserve, that we are saved by God's grace and the faith that we put in it. When it comes to the gospel, are there some hills that we shouldn't die for? Are there some things that are not worth arguing about? Paul asked that question and he answered it for himself. Listen to the first five verses. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, we're going to be here for two months, so I really plead with you to open it up now. I'd love for you to study this thing, highlight this, be in it for the next two months. It will help your mind, I promise you. Paul says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Highlight that, to the churches of Galatia. So what Paul is saying, hey, listen, this is not my bent. This is not my opinion. This isn't how I was raised or my denomination. I'm not coming with you with a thought that I pulled out of my back pocket. This is from God, right? This is from Christ. This is not just what Paul thinks this is truth. Grace to you and peace from God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. According to the will of our God, the Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, Paul says, amen. So this is week one in about eight or nine weeks in the book of Galatians. So here's a few points. If you're a note taker, you know, I always say build up the moment, be able to close your eyes and see the story unfolding to real life. Here's a few things that I want you to understand about the book of Galatians. 
First and foremost, this is a letter. This is literal form. This is not a conversation or a Jesus story about what's happening in the moment. There's not a bunch of characters in this. This is Paul writing. It's a New Testament book and many letters, and this is one of them. So this is in written form, and Paul is writing to, not an individual man, he's not writing to Eastview, he's writing to the churches of Galatia. So Galatians, he's speaking to the people of Galatia. And he is not writing to one person. He's not writing to the Baptist. He is writing to anyone who believes. And anyone who might think they believe. Anyone who is interested in reading, he is writing to them, right? Now, who's he writing to? He's writing to not just believers, but he's writing to a group of individuals called Gentiles. Hang with me. Who are Gentiles? Well, to understand who Gentiles are, it's really defined by who Gentiles aren't. And that is they are not Jewish. So the Gentiles are not Jews, right? That's how you basically define these people. And what Paul is concerned about, which is really the highlight of this whole letter, is he's concerned that the gospel has been distorted. He is saying, the gospel in which I poured into you, the gospel that I shared with you, the gospel that I taught you and discipled you in, has been distorted, It's a hill worth dying for. So understand the moment Paul is invested into these people. This would be people that Paul did not live with. He didn't have a church membership with these individuals. Most people believe that this was a group that he was in missions with. So I want you to think of our brothers in New York, our people in Haiti or the Dominican that we went with and we walked and served and poured in and prayed with, and then we left right? So we have our people here at Eastview, our family, and then we have people that we have poured into in missions and then left back home. This would be people that we're speaking of and looking at in Galatia. Now the distortion, the distortion would be seen as small. We're going to look at small a lot today. It would be small. It would be disguised You'd be seen to most people as minor, hang with me, but Paul knows when the gospel of Jesus Christ is distorted an inch, distorted a hair, distorted at all, that directly changes our views on God and pours into our life. Today, this morning, there are many places that call themselves churches in 2021 that are founded in dangerous distortions to where I would not even call them a church. 2021, and I'm about as laid back as it gets. There are people that call themselves a church. We're we're singing the songs and reading from the same book where I say, my child isn't coming, right? You might see it as small, but it's dangerous, Some of you guys were raised there. Some of you guys know this. Some of you guys believe this. You've seen it. You've lived it. There are people out there that are false teachers that are consciously and subconsciously harming others, right? I think for a lot of us, when we think of false teachers, we think of like back alley, dark night, luring kids over with candy going, hey, Jesus doesn't exist. And some of that is accurate, But a lot of false teachers are still speaking Jesus and singing songs and giving to the church and going on missions, but they distort the gospel, which are endangering the people. 
There are a lot of issues today, struggles that you have in marriage and kids and family and heart and mind and life that could be avoided if those gospel truths weren't distorted. There are people today dying and going to hell driven by small distortions in the gospel. So it is a big deal. And Paul looks at this, he's concerned. And what does he say in verse six? I marvel. He looks at these people and he goes, man, I've poured into you. I've loved you. I have taught you. I've discipled you. He's left now. He's writing to them. He sees their life. He goes, man, I'm stumped. I'm marveled that you are turning away so soon from him. Highlight that, please. Like the whole book, the whole book is driven from here, okay? He goes, man, like what I'm hearing can't be true. I know what I taught you. I know what we said. And he goes, man, I am marveled that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, do you remember what I taught you in the beginning? Like when I was there with you and we were huddled around and I was pouring into you, do you remember what I told you? That you and I, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, how one is saved, that we are saved by God's grace. What Christ accomplished, not what you can do. And this is what Paul says, I'm discouraged, that other people are telling you otherwise and I'm even more discouraged that you're listening to it. You hear me? He goes, man, I I know what I taught you. I know what I said to you. You looked at me and you said, amen. I left in good conscience. And man, I'm so concerned that people are telling you otherwise. And I'm even more concerned that you're following it. Small distortions big problems. So what exactly, what exactly was being taught and bought into that concerned Paul so much? Now remember I told you who he was speaking to. He was speaking to Gentiles, not Jewish dissension. So I want you to understand in this moment what the people were pouring into these Gentiles were, hey, listen, you might be less than God's people and what you need to do, if you are not Jewish, you need to try your hardest to be so. So you need to pull the law into salvation. You need to bring tradition into salvation. You gotta do whatever they've done traditionally to get right with Jesus, right? And you go, well, Hunter, you know, this isn't a huge deal. Do you know the one sticking point that is brought up in Galatians a lot? Is circumcision. Because this was seen in the Jewish tradition. And so what the people were preaching and teaching is like, look, believe in God, follow Jesus, and do these things. And you go, well, Hunter, I mean, that's foolish, I mean, that's silly. I don't think you and I are going to the pearly gates and he's performing a physical before we get in. So it might be ridiculous to think about, but it's not a hill to die on. Like people aren't going to heaven or hell based on these things. Just let it ride, right? But understand, 
when the gospel, the foundation of how one is saved, the goodness of Jesus, when that is distorted at all, remember what I told you, what else is distorted? Our heart, our view, and our mind. And when your mind goes into a Jesus plus, these are the things that I need to do, a works-based salvation versus grace what ends up happening is there's this trickle effect that in time it becomes a me-focused salvation versus a gospel-centered Jesus Christ foundation. And this is what Paul sees. Paul goes, hey, it might not be the front line, or maybe it is. It might not be the guys that I spent time with physically. It might be their great-grandchildren. But you start pouring into them, hey, if you want to go to heaven, you better make sure you're in Sunday school. And you better make sure that you give 10%. And you better make sure you're circumcised. What happens in time, Jesus gets washed away completely. And it gets into, you better do these things if you want to find glory. And Paul goes, man, I'm shocked. Like, I'm confused on how we got past God's grace, right? What does he tell them? Verse 8. But even if we are an angel from heaven, this is how confident he is. I love it. If even an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That's confidence, isn't it? As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So what hills are important? All of them. All of them are important. For I do now persuade, for I do now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So what we're really seeing, and a lot of this is your story, and it's been really fun to be a part of Eastview and be a part of your life. But what we're seeing in Galatians, Paul has poured into these people. They've all gone to church. They've all sang the songs. They all got their hair wet. Paul left. He comes back. He steps away. And now he is having to reteach. He is having to reteach foundations. Turn just a page. Just a page. Depending on how big your Bible is. And look at 328. Go ahead and highlight it. Because we're going to reference it a lot. Same book, just a page. Look at 328. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Paul says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, understand that Jesus plus movement does not teach this. The Jesus plus movement teaches much of you, less of him. And what that ends up doing, you might even take some good disciplines. Be in church, give financially, serve St. Jude, be here and do all of these good things. But when that is at the forefront, what ends up happening is that alters actual faith, alters actual dependence, actual love, and what seemed to be small and not hills to die on changes salvation and life in general. Believe it or not, I'm speaking to a lot of people in this room. Like, that might be hard for you to swallow, but I know it to be fact because I've sat with you. And so for some of you in this room, you were raised with good disciplines, 
Good people go to church. And good people give. And good people help. And good people sing. And good people teach. And that is what you've been told, consciously or subconsciously, what a Christian looks like. So what you've been taught is great moral disciplines of being a good Christian Southern boy or girl. And in the meantime, what has happened is, is Jesus Christ and your submission to his authority and dependence on his grace has been pushed to the side. And really you are close to a moral compass of success than a life of faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul goes, man, I see this for you. And you might not think this is dangerous, but this is going to crush your people. This is why it's so important to have a solid foundation. This is why it's important to know what you believe and why you believe it. This is why it's important to be confident and well-knowledgeable and be able to give an account to better defend your faith. Paul would say, Peter would say in chapter 3 of his book, each of us must be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. So Philip here, do you, do you love Jesus, brother? He goes, amen, I do. I go, why? He goes, I don't know. Hunter seems pretty passionate about it. I like everything he says. I like some K-Love songs. It makes me feel good that I'm going to heaven. Why are you faithful? Can you communicate it? Can you verbalize why you have a walk with Christ? This is why it's important. Parent, eyes on me. Eyes on me. If you're in middle school, eyes on me. If you're in high school, eyes on me. Do you know that there is an alarming, astronomical statistic about people that leave high school and fade from God's church? Now listen, I'm a numbers guy, okay? I don't really care what you think. Show me evidence. So I believe when you look at the numbers, and we're talking like in the 80 to 90 percentile of people in the southern Bible Belt of churches leaving the faith, not knowing what they believe from 18 to 19 out of mama and daddy's roof, leaving the church in general, there is something um, alarming about that. Now, why is it? Parent, hang on every word I'm telling you. Why are so many young people leaving the church once leaving mom and dad's house? Well, there's a few reasons. Number one, real life comes, right, for all of us. Believers and non-believers. 18 years old, you wake up and you wear a backpack with acne to school every day. 19, you got a boss with kids, right? Like life changes really quick for you. But what we're seeing is in our 19 and our 20 and our 21-year-olds, they don't really know what they believe and why they believe it, so it's very easy to lure them away from it. Like all it takes is a busy schedule. Like all it takes is a cute guy or a good speaker and I'm gone, right? And so with our young people, man, they're just kind of out there. And what we see is also not only do they not know what they believe, a lot of them would profess that I never really believed in the first place. I never really loved God or knew who Jesus was. There's an overwhelming, eyes on me, astronomical statistic of people that leave the home and just go, hey, listen, big boy church ain't cutting it. Like, where'd all the pizza go, right? 
Like, we don't have lock-ins as adults. What's happening? Right? And you laugh. It's true. So I get here, and, like, this idea of, like, just wanting to be around God's people, sing God's songs, learn about Christ, not going to cut it. Like, I need some kind of camp or something, right? Where's everybody trying to entertain me? Parent, listen to me. Overwhelming statistic. Why is that? Like, could it be that we've treated the church like we treat everything else? What do my child, what do they want to do? Where do they want to be? Where will they be entertained? Where will they have fun? Is that what we've done? Now listen to me, if you don't know this about me, you can ask others who are close. There are very few things that Pastor Hunter has prioritized and pushed more than building an engaging environment for our kids. Like I have pushed this to the degree of annoyance. And you have heard out of my mouth to an eye roll. If our kids are called to be aliens out there, they better fit in in here. I'm all about it. I'm all about Dollywood. I have no problem with the pool table. We can have ice cream sundaes. We can go to camp. I got no issue with any of it. Any of you guys want to donate and build a gym, I'll take it. As long as we understand why we're here. And as long as this is not to entertain your kid to please them. That we are founded on the gospel and our priority is that we are raising arrows to raise more arrows. But here's the problem. No one would debate me on that. So why is the statistic so high? Are you one of the statistics? My kid's not having fun enough. Like, can I imagine a moment where, let's say Liam comes home to me and he's struggling in math. He's not very intelligent mathematically. He's bringing home C's and D's and F's. And I go, hey, bro, what is happening? He goes, man, my teacher never has, like, ice-breaking funny stories. He never brings snacks for us. Like, I'm done with it. Hey, real quick, I would remind him why he's in school. I'm not bringing you for funny stories and ice cream, bro. You're here to graduate and become something. Parent, eyes on me. Do not follow youth groups. That is not why we're here. We are not here to sing and dance for your kids. Now, we are here to engage them. We are here to live life with them. We are here to love them. And good, gifted people will do it well. But, man, the prioritize is sharing the gospel, teaching the gospel, and they know what they believe, why they believe it, so when they get out from your hand and your roof, they are ready to defend it. This is where you say amen. Are you a statistic or do you understand that? Do you? And Paul looks at these people and says, hey man, I think you got tricked by the ice king, bro. Like, what happened? Like, you found something that you thought was greater than Jesus. Listen to the example that he gives when he says that I'm concerned. He says, but I, I love this, for all of us that struggle and are not worthy of salvation, 
Listen to the example he gives in 11. But I make known to you, brothers, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, right? For I neither received it from man, nor was it taught, was I taught by it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. I highlighted 13 in my Bible. I encourage you to do the same. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, my past life for all my sinners in here, for how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. So he's being very transparent. There's a reason. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation because of more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go to, up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I returned again to Damascus. What is Paul doing? Paul is using his past life his sin, his brokenness, his lostness, his nastiness, his unworthiness to give life and power to God's grace and the true power of the gospel. This is why, just hear my words, this is why he would say in 1 Corinthians what we see is the gospel, right? In verse 9 he says, For I am the least of the apostles, who, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not because I got right with Jesus and started going to church. Not because I said to Rome, you can take a hike, I'm going to start teaching Sunday school, or I joined the church or gave 11%. No, he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Think about your life. Think about how you were taught, how you were raised. Do you see how a small distortion can create huge heart problems? Like Paul understood grace. Paul understood undeserving, desperate need of a Savior. Paul understood that there was nothing he could do to become right with God. And his emptiness, then my brother found fulfillment. I've asked this before on Wednesday night, and it's a high statistic as well. But when you, quote unquote, came to know the Lord, did anyone ever sit with you and teach you about God's grace? You know, you know what, I, what I found in most people, 9 out of 10? Most people had not heard the word grace until they were older in life. And what they heard was, in a roundabout way, you have decisions to make. You got heaven or hell, which one? You want to not be with your family one day? You want to see your grandkids in glory? Good people do this, bad people do this. Do you believe we came from monkeys or do you believe something else is up there, baby? Whatever it is, it wasn't the faith and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And so what ends up happening, guys, is that we get older in life and we struggle and we fall 
and there is no faith and there is no strength and there is no love and there is no dependent on Christ because we never knew him because now we know love him. And I want you to see the big picture, please. Here in the Bible Belt, your family, your home. The false teachers in Galatians, when they heard Paul, you know what they would have said to Paul? Brother, chill out. That's what they would have said. Like, I'm good with God. You're good with God. I got no issue with Jesus, man. Like, we're all on the same team. That's what they would have said to him. But remember what I told you. By replacing grace with works, it infiltrates the heart. It will infiltrate your life. It changes everything. It goes from now to I am good with God versus Jesus is enough. To now I have versus he is. When the gospel is distorted a hair, an inch, it alters life completely. Look at the last verses in chapter 1, 18 through 24. We're doing good, church. Stay with me. Then after three years, Paul says, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother, Now concerning these things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went to the different regions of Syria, and I was unknown by the face of the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who was formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. I want you to read that with me again, that that last verse, 23. This is the testimony giving God the glory by understanding grace. But the people, when hearing only he, being Paul, who formerly persecuted us, now preaches the faith which was once tried to destroy, and now they glorified God in me. Church, there are people today in churches all across this world that are literally dying and going to hell because they were taught and they bought a distorted gospel. I want you to see, I want you to turn your Bibles. We're done with Galatians. I want you to see this. Last time I have you flip, Matthew 7. I want you to go to Matthew 7 for me. Hey, kids, you're not done yet. Go to Matthew 7. I want you to see it. There are people all across this world i told you this many times. I love all of you guys, but I'm not naive. I'd be shocked if we're batting a thousand in this room. Some of you guys, Paul is speaking to you. There are people that are in church that think that we're okay. This is not a hill to die on. It's okay that I was taught otherwise, and your heart is not right with Jesus. And glory is not waiting for us. There's a lack of closeness with God because your walk was never with God. It was always about the law. I want you to see Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, day of glory, say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done all of these things, right? Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Haven't we done many wonders in your name? You know what they're saying? Man, I was in church. I went to potluck. I taught Sunday school. I helped with nursery. I gave 15%. And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Paul is begging us. Jesus is enough. His grace is sufficient. Waters, attendance, tithe, and circumstances and circumcisions are, cannot hold what the cross can only hold. So many of us will spend a lifetime trying to get good moral disciplines to hold up our broken life, which was never meant to do so. Know the meat and the foundation of where the gospel stands and it will flood everything else in your life. Wendy and I um, love, love Japanese food. We've always loved Japanese food. Even when we were dating we have pictures 20 years old. We went to hibachi grills way before hibachi grills were, were popular. And so I love sushi and, and we love the hibachi grill and all that kind of stuff. And we used to go to Asahi in Jackson when it was in this other location behind a building. It was a small little hole in the wall. And they would take a picture of you every time you would have an anniversary or something and we would always go. And back then, you didn't have all these fancy cameras. You had Polaroids and we had all these Polaroids. Like 20, 21 years ago, we had these pictures. And we were looking at them recently, and I was thinking about this example. You know, there was a moment where my wife and I got all dolled up, and we celebrated an anniversary, and we went to Japanese food. And we sat there, had my arm around my girl, and we just listened to the guy and watched the guy do all those fancy tricks, right? And man, he'd spin the egg, and he'd go, it's an egg roll. And we're like, oh, he got us again, right? And he'd pour and wash it with the fake vodka. And we're like, is it real vodka? Is it fake vodka? Which is it, Right? He, he throws zucchini in our mouth and all of that kind of mess. And it was just, that is a wonderful show. Well, I'm not t- 20 years old. I'm 40. And the reality is, is I don't need any of those tricks anymore. I don't need the show. I'd rather you not even come out and do it, to be honest with you. There's a time I've almost stopped him and said, hey, brother, I'm just here for the food. I've seen this. I don't need the, the onion volcano today. I want steak and shrimp and lobster. That's what I want. That's why I came. And that's what Paul is begging the people of Galatia for. Stop coming for tricks and additions to. Because whenever you add to what's important, it always takes away to what's important. The gospel is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, all man, all God, came to die for those he created and chose. He hung on a cross for your sins and mine, that one day we would have glory for him, with him forever and ever. And that is the gospel. When you put faith in that, you are saved. This morning, I don't know who you are, and I told you I was a numbers guy. I'd be tickled to death if I got to glory one day and God goes, Hunter, it really was 100%. That'd be awesome. But my money's on no. Because some of us were raised in homes and with parents and churches that taught otherwise. Baptism saves. Giving saves. Church saves. Right? All of those things, and you've lived your whole life trying to hang your life on things that can't hold it. If that is you today, I pray that you find this altar on your knees praying to God, God save me. Man, I checked all the wrong boxes. I did not submit my life. Why? Because I did not know you. That's why I don't love you.
If you're like, Hunter, that's gonna make me look so silly. I've been going to this church. I even help in some ways. If I go to that altar, if I pray at my seat, if I cry at my steering wheel, like if that's me, if I find those waters next Sunday, everybody's gonna be like, what is going on with them? I thought, man, I'd rather have people think and me know, right? And you find that space. Have today be the day. And if that is you, you go, hey, Hunter, I know the gospel. I love the gospel. I can't wait for glory. Well, pray with me. God, thank you for putting people in my life to share the true gospel, to know the true gospel, to pour the gospel into me and keep me strong. Okay? Remember that word, parents and kids. Remember that word, why we're here, what's important, what's going to sustain us. Let's bow our heads. God, I am amazed about a word that was written thousands of years ago being so applicable today. When you look at history and how the world has changed and I look out into the eyes of the people sitting here, these are the same eyes that Paul spoke to. The same eyes. The same ears, the same lives, the same marriages, the same kids, the same churches, the same hearts. Nothing's changed. So God, I pray. If somebody is in this church today or watching at home or listening in their car, and they are the person of Matthew 7, they've done some awesome things. They don't curse very often. They've never been divorced. They love their kids. They work hard. They come to church. They sing some songs. They put a 20 in the plate. If that's who they are, without having a life-changing, heart-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray you make that so relevant in their life. I pray they have a hard time standing up when David says stands up. That's what I hope. I hope we look back at this moment and we go, man, we saw the gospel come to life, that there's not going to be a day where people look at me and go, man, I marveled. I marveled how you ran from the truth. Crush us of our pride, crush us of our ignorance, crush us of our sin. Let us see fulfillment in our emptiness, that your grace is enough, that your grace saves. Let us put faith in that. In your precious name, the church says in harmony, amen.